one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Get motivated, JP inspired, inspiration for today. Now say, Jesus, as I sit here today, open the heavens above me, and I pray that as I hear your word today, you would speak to my life, you would minister to my heart, your word will be revealed to me today in a supernatural way, so that I will understand it, so I can speak it and do it, and see it change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you today to really plug into the Word. We're talking about the marks of a true Christian. And the marks of a true Christian are probably most shown in those moments where evil happens. We finished off Love and Mercy last week speaking about God's call to repentance speaking about the fact that to expect to enter into the circle of God's mercy without repenting from our sin is wishful thinking. We looked at the fact that um, an unmerciful person with an unmerciful heart will not receive mercy from God. It doesn't come from the Bible. Some people say that is legalistic and that is Old Testament. Now Jesus said it in the New Testament. Some people then say, yes, but when Jesus said that in the New Testament, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. Well, then you haven't read. The Bible declares with what Jesus has forgiven you of, you have no right to hold issues against people for what they've done to you. And we all say, yes, yes, yes. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. But sometimes when we say yes, we don't really think about what that means. And what I want to say to you today is that the message we're looking at today tells you, and I want you to listen to what I'm saying to you. It tells you, if you do not have a relationship with God, you will not be able to. Now, one of those things is Generosity. And coming up on the first Sunday of December, we're going to be celebrating and doing our special offering together. And I'm asking you right now, are you preparing for that? Are you preparing? Because, you know, when it comes to tithing, tithing, you're giving to God what belongs to God. When you don't tithe, it's the same as what happens with the government if you don't pay tax. You're going to have issues. Special offering is over and above your tithe. And when you sow into special offering, the Bible's clear. You can expect a harvest. Even in Galatians 6, which comes after the cross, because people say it's legalistic, right? In Galatians 6, which comes after the cross, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What you sow, you will reap. 
So maybe you've been sowing some bad stuff. Vic spoke about um, New Year's Eve. Maybe New Year's Eve you sowed tremendous strife and, and huge problems into your 2022. And, and, and I believe there's probably some of you sitting here today and there are things you've been suffering throughout the year which you sowed on December the 31st or maybe January the 1st or maybe by January the 7th. So what I want to tell you is special offering is a time where you can start, first of all, with your money, sowing something into your future. When your finances are tough, as many people's finances are tough, what should you be doing? Well, the first thing you should do is you should pray. The second thing you should do, and again, remember I'm telling you now, you have to overcome evil. How do you overcome doing evil things with your, with your money? Well, for, start, for starters, even when you're suffering financially, do not let it affect your generosity. Now, some people have an abundance of cash, and so they give some money because it's easy. But they're not willing to give time. Other people have an abundance of time, so they, they sow time willingly, but they're not willing to give cash. And most people are not. I spoke last week, Sunday, about a shooting that had taken place in Deepslut where the pastor was busy behind the pulpit. They were busy praying through the night. He was busy sharing a word. It's in Deepslut. If, if you see the churches there, most of them are in these metal shacks. They've got these large metal structures where they meet. Some of them have got a concrete floor. And this pastor, he was a youngish pastor in his early 30s. And he was busy preaching soon after midnight when some guys came and they unplugged their generators because people in deep sweat don't have electricity. So if they've got lights, then they're using a generator. They shot him in the chest. He died. Two other people in the congregation that were there ended up in hospital. And guess what they were playing for? They were praying for the community. They were praying for the peace of their area. They were praying because people are even getting killed in their homes. They were praying because, you know, one of the things that's not been spoken about too many people, a lot of the people that are being killed in deep state are being killed because they're not South African. And there was this breaking news, church shooting in deep state, pastor killed. What happened in the deep state church explained. Now, when I read the article, it wasn't really accurate. Because we know something about what happened there. Some of the comments that I saw on Twitter, this was last Sunday. A deep cert pastor shot multiple times on a pulpit when three armed men stormed the church during overnight prayers on Friday night. He succumbed to his injuries. Two more people were shot and in hospital. And then also um, a doctor, Parikh Patel, said this. Some churches owned by Zimbabweans got burnt. A few days later, unknown men attacked a Christian church at around 00. Three people got shot. One died in Dipsworth Clinic. Uh, two in critical condition. The media silence is concerning. My sources indicate that a huge strike is underway. And then put SA Citizens first tweeted this. Listen to this. Communities like Dipsworth are terrorized by Zimbabweans. You need to drive them out of your communities and hand them over to the Helen Susman Foundation. They love them so much and, and will be happy to have them. 
I hope none of you think like that. I sincerely trust that none of you are fruitcakes like these put South Africa first people. If the person that tweeted that happens to be watching, probably not, but if they happened, I'm going to say this to Cam, you're a dumb idiot. And then John shared with me that this weekend in Jacksonville, a Zimbabwean pastor was hacked to death at an overnight prayer meeting. Okay, this just didn't just happen in Deep Sweat. The church is being attacked physically. So now when you start sitting there and you start thinking about this, this evil, what rises up inside of you? Now, maybe one or two of you are thinking, ah, who cares? But what happens if that pastor was your brother? What would you do? You know, at the end of the day, we have such an evil attitude in our nation. And the attitude is that all we rate people by is a few things like the color of their skin, where they come from, what their home language is, which tribe they're from, things like that. Which area they live in, how much money they have or don't have. I want you to realize this is symptomatic of a heart that the devil is laughing all the way to the bank with. This is symptomatic of a nation that is under the control of the enemy. If you're going to be that shallow when looking at anyone, you're under the control of the enemy. And, and, and part, of, part of what you need to start analyzing, if that pastor was your brother, or if that happened here and that pastor was me, okay, maybe you don't like me, think of a pastor you like. What would you want to do? Because I want to tell you what you want to do and what you'll allow to control you is going to tell you who you are. It's going to tell you where you are with the Lord. Because the Bible says that the mark of a true Christian is that we overcome evil. Now what does it mean to overcome evil? Well, I'll tell you what the world thinks to overcome evil means. It means I go in there with guns blazing and I take people out. And yes, I'm going to set the city ablaze. It's going to be on fire. The president's house is going to burn down. The parliament is going to be burned. Oh, no, wait, that happened. That happened. Sorry. That was a joke. If you don't know, the, the parliament burned down earlier this year in, in January. They said it was a homeless guy. If you believe that, good for you. I don't. Overcoming evil begins with our reaction when we're faced with evil. Overcoming evil begins with our reaction when someone else is faced with evil that we don't know. You see, when one of the things that you watch is that when it happens to me, my reaction is very different to when it happens over there. How we respond to evil shows how much we trust God. 
What is the natural human reaction? What is the natural human reaction to violence? I remember a few years ago speaking to Shane. He was driving the church bus and some taxi drivers came. And Shane starts telling me, I'm going to sort those oaks out. Wada, wada, wada. They better know who the hell do they think they are, you, you know. And, and then we're laughing at, at Shane, but, but at the end of the day, that's most of us. Come. Or come. The natural human reaction is to repay violence with violence. What is the natural human reaction to persecution? The natural human reaction to persecution is to fight the persecution with a revolution. I mean, we live in a world now where we praise revolutions, not just in South Africa. Revolutions are praised in America, in France, in South Africa, and a number of other places around the world. And that's because that's our natural human reaction. We respond to persecution with revolution. Now the question is, and Paul was writing in a time when Christians were persecuted, what is the mark of a true Christian in the face of persecution? And many times I've heard this through our relationship with Open Doors. Where these Christians in these Muslim countries in the Middle East who are treated in the most terrible way, you know what they pray? Pray they ask, even from, from the Western church, they ask us to pray just for one thing. That in the face of persecution, I will show them Jesus. Now right there, a whole lot of people should realize, I need to give my life to Jesus. Maybe I'm not saved. Romans 12 is 14 and 15. Just in case you think that's a weak attitude. Because what is the thing that you often hear us, and I'm going to say us saying, because we say it ourselves. No, you can't forgive because people are just going to walk all over you. I know none of you have said that, but you know the people out there say that. Do you understand? The average person out there says that. You can't just forgive because they're not going to learn a lesson. They're going to keep doing it. Romans 12, 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, shucks. Bless those who persecute that, That's the message to that church in Deepsworth. That's the message to that church in Jacksonville. Bless and do not curse. Never mind get them back. Don't curse them. So, so never mind must we not get them back. We must bless them and not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we're very upset about those who are rejoicing because they got our promotion or we believe they got our money. And weep with those who weep. How often do we not weep with those who weep because we haven't got time. We're too busy. You know what I see? Every time someone goes through a bereavement, you can watch it these days on social media. Their world comes to a standstill. And they keep posting about that. What does everyone else do? They just carry on. Weep with those who weep. In the NLT it says this. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. 
pray that God will bless them. I want you to think about your attitude to people that are different to you. Let's say there are people that are different to you that are persecuting you. The Bible says don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Here's the issue. Faith means that you trust God even when life doesn't make sense. I want to say that again. Faith means that you trust God even when life doesn't make sense. How do you do that without the power of the Holy Spirit? How do you do that when people are attacking you with violence without the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you something, you know, over the years, many churches have preached the prosperity gospel. And when I was younger, I used to fight with my dad about a lot of issues. You understand what I'm saying? And one day we were talking about the whole thing, and he said, you know what? This time we weren't fighting that. But he said something wise. He said, it's all good and well for churches now to preach prosperity because we're living in good times. What would they have preached to churches in the First World War? Because Christians weren't excluded from that war. If you were affected by that war or the Second World War, it didn't mean you were a bad... If, you were, if the war affected you, it didn't mean you were a bad Christian. And we're starting to go onto the precipice, it looks like, of some very bad times. If you're looking at the, 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 the winds and how things are going, you know, in terms of the world economy and polit politics and all sorts of stuff... You know, we're on, we're on the verge that it could be catastrophic. You better start praying for the world, never mind yourself. We're supposed to pray for the world as Christians. You do know that, eh? But we better pray for the world because the world's teaching, and if it teaches, we're going with it. The prosperity gospel doesn't work in wartime. When the bullets are flying... God's not going to supernaturally save you from the bullet just because you're tithing. Or just because you claim protection over your chest so that no bullet's going to go through you. Okay, uh, we've, we've got to look at reality. Because our Christian faith is not about this life. Many of the questions we ask are because our Christian faith is actually not about eternity. Our Christian faith is actually about this life. And if your hope is in this life, you're a fool. Because this life always ends in a tragedy. Your life will end in a tragedy, the tragedy of your death. You do believe when you die it's going to be a tragedy, right? Misha, you believe that, eh? You do believe it's going to be tragic when Misha, you know what I mean, it's like over. Every life ends in a tragedy. And what does Paul say in Philippians 4? Because a lot of people like to say, I can do all things through Jesus who, who gives me strength. You know what I mean? They post it up and that's on, it's, on, it's all over the place. Okay, let's start at verse 10 of Philippians 4. Because if you start at verse 10, you get a very different meaning to verse 13. It says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. All right, so imagine I'm writing a letter to you. How I praise the Lord, active church, that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you haven't had the chance to help me. 
Not that I was ever in need. Now listen to this. Not that I was ever in need. Now listen to what he says. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Some of you are saying, stop preaching Satanism, pastor. No, no, it's the Bible. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Verse 12 says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. So whether I have almost nothing or I have everything, I can live with both. Then he says this, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it, with a, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So the moment someone tells you that your faith is validated by how much money you have, you just take him to these passages and say, now please explain that one to me. He says, and I want to read this again, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Then he says in verse 13, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, what he's saying, I can face the hard times with joy, and it's the same as the good times for me, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Some of you should be giving the Lord a big shout of praise. Because some of you have been feeling bad. Now come on, give the Lord a big shout of praise. Amen. Because some of you, some of you have been feeling bad because you don't have a lot of money and you think that means you're not a good Christian. And the reason you've believed that is because someone told you hogwash and told you that's Christianity. Paul didn't preach that. James didn't preach that. Peter didn't preach that. These are all apostles. It's not in the book of Revelation. It's in the book of imagination. I'm not sure if it's the first letter of imaginations or the second letter, but it's in one of them somewhere. So this has to be our mindset for us to overcome the world. That has to be our mindset. To overcome the anger and the desire for revenge that naturally occurs after the murder of someone we love requires great strength from the Lord. So what is the secret to overcoming evil? And right now you should take notes and you should watch this again because the Bible gives the secrets to overcoming evil. And here it is, the first one. The secret to overcoming evil is to be born of God. In 1 John 5 verse 4, For everyone who overcomes the world, this is, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now going back to how people judge and, and you know, kill the Zimbabweans, they're causing, I mean, all the, if I look at Twitter, every problem in South Africa is because of poor Zimbabweans. I mean, it's such a small number of people, but they're causing all the problems everywhere. Uh, um, I don't know of any Zimbabwean that's in, that's in Parliament. I know of a lady from China. <laughs> Literally. She can hardly speak English, but she's in Parliament. So I know of a Chinese lady, but I don't know of any Zimbabweans that are in Parliament. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone can come correct me afterwards. But if there is, it's not more than one or two. But as far as I know, out of the 400 members of Parliament, none of them are Zimbabwean. 
Why is that important? Because when you judge people like that, or you judge people because they're white, or you judge people because they're black, or you say the colors are like this, you know, the colors are violent, eh? I wear my brew. You're going to have no teeth when I'm finished with you, my brew. That's what's the colors, right? The colors, they just rob you. That's what we say. Let's be honest. By the way, I love the colors. They got the best way of saying things. They just talk. I start laughing. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you know, the one lady that used to be in the church, she used to come to me, Pastor, you want a java? Ah, she's asked me if I want coffee, if you don't understand. I understood. I just, you know, I packed up laughing. It was like music to my ears. You understand what I'm saying? But here's the thing. You know, when, when you judge people, nobody chooses the home or the nation that they're born to. I never chose the home I was born to, the nation I was born to. You never chose. None of us choose that. But there is something that you can decide. And what you can decide is whether you're born of God. In the natural realm, in order for someone to be born, a seed has to be planted. A man has to place a seed inside of a woman. And then what happens is there's an extension that takes place of the father's DNA within the womb of the mother. The woman conceives in her womb and then she gives birth. Now what I want you to realize, in the spiritual realm, something similar occurs when we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a conception that takes place in the spiritual realm. And the seed of the Word of God is a thing that must be planted in our hearts if we are later going to be born again. Once a person is born of God, faith becomes a fundamental part of our existence. And God gave us the seed through His Word. Every time you read the Bible... The seed of the Word of God, the seed of God is being deposited inside of you. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit takes that seed and begins to nurture the seed. And the seed begins to grow the same way that a baby begins to grow when the, when the egg has been fertilized in the mother and that baby begins to grow up inside of the mother. When the seed of God comes into our hearts and our minds, we can believe things that we could not even have begun to imagine before. We can believe that through the power of God, we can overcome the evil that has been done to us, even if that evil be like what happened to that poor church and the families affected in that poor church in Deepslit last week. It's a miraculous thing that takes place. I want to tell you, you cannot overcome stuff like that if you do not have faith in Almighty God. And you do not have faith in Almighty God if you've got all of your questions. When we are born of God, we start to feel separated from worldly matters. And I want to ask you today, how separated do you feel from worldly matters? Because when we are born of God, something that we might have previously enjoyed now seems to be grotesque and it makes us feel revolted. Those worldly desires inside of yourself, are you still feeling revolted at them? If not, you're not born again. And I want to tell you there's much compromise in the church today. Because people in the church are living for this life. They're not living for eternity. When someone 
gets to the place where things that they previously enjoyed now seem to be grotesque and revolting to them. Something else also happens. Is things that we did not find attractive before all of a sudden become attractive to us, like reading the Bible. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you will love to read the Bible. And in fact, reading the Bible will become an essential part of your life. I want to tell you, for those of you that post regularly on social media, go and look at your social media page. You'll see there what's important to you. Most people post themselves because that's what's important to them. When we're born of God, it's like starting a race where we'll always need a high level of faith to persevere. You cannot run the race of God without a high level of faith. And it's only in this way, through faith, that we can reach the finish line that God has set before us. I want you to, to, to understand that through faith, we can permanently relate to our God who is with us in this world through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there for you every single day. Every single day. He's there. You can face down anything. You can face down anything if the Holy Spirit fills you, if the Holy Spirit leads you, if the Holy Spirit overwhelms your flesh. You can face down any challenge. You will overcome evil in a powerful way. And when we depend on contact with the Word of God, we are given the ability to control our thoughts and our desires. God gives us that ability. If we cannot see God, if we cannot see His care and protection in our lives, but we have faith, we'll still trust Him. Philippians 2, 12 to 15 says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm far away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the, the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. I want you to look at me and I, want you to, I really want you to start thinking about that for a second. We're living in a world full of crooked and perverse people. If you're doing what the world does, what does that make you? The Apostle Paul was speaking there to the Philippians about the same problem that we see in the church today. What do we see in the church today? Many, many times in the church, people will obey when the pastor's there and can see them. But they'll only obey when the pastor's there. Paul said, no, when I'm not there, do it even more so. It's even more important what you do when I'm not there than when I am there. And in the church, why is the encounter that Vicky spoke about so important? The encounter Vicky spoke about is so important. It's because the number one job of the church is to build leaders of character. And leaders of character will do the same thing no matter who's there and no matter who isn't there. And Paul says to them in Philippians 2, you know, you did fantastic things when I was there, but now that I'm not there, you must do even better. You must do even more 
to make up for the fact, he says, that I'm not there. So is your, is your, your attitude in your life, uh, if the pastor's not here, I can relax because the pastor's not here. I don't have to worry about this stuff. Let me just not put it on my, on my social media because I'm friends with the pastor on social media and then he's going to see. And if, you, if I know this pastor, if he sees, he's going to chirp me. He's going to say something. If that is your mentality, you've missed it. You're not doing this to please me, to please whoever, to, to act. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, the measuring stick is not your grandfather, your auntie, your uncle, your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, whatever. Your measuring stick is Jesus. Where are you in comparison to Jesus? By the way, plenty of times in the Bible, we're told to compare ourselves to Jesus. If we're not like Jesus, we're weak. And weak people, you know there's a saying, when the cat's away, the mouse will play. Weak people only quickly fix things. They know the cat's coming. Let me fix this. Let me fix this. Jesus was sent to earth to redeem humanity. And redeeming humanity means that we have to be like Jesus who remained faithful to the will of Father, of the Father until he had uh, successfully completed his mission. And the Lord experienced the greatest agony in the Garden of Eden. I mean, the, sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26 verse 39, he went on a little farther and bowed down with his face on the ground saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet not what I want, but your will be done. I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus sweat drops of blood right there. What he was facing was so challenging that it caused his sweat to turn to blood. And yet he still said, not my will, but yours be done. But now, what also happened there? You see, when Adam had sinned, in Genesis chapter 3, now for the promise. In Genesis 3 verse 19a, it says that God said to Adam, by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread until you return to the ground. In other words, the ground was cursed. And now Jesus is here in the garden of Gethsemane and drops of sweat fall to the ground. And it's his blood that's coming out of his sweat. Why was that important? To break the curse on the ground. And what does that curse cause? It causes you to work and never see the fruit of your labor. That can be in the area of money, it can be in the area of your family, it can be in the area of ministry, it can be in any area of your life. That you work hard and you do not see the fruit of your labor because the ground is cursed. And sometimes you're facing these challenges. You know why? Because there's sin in your ancestral line. And curses have come upon your family line. Why do you need to come to encounter? Why do you need to bring people to encounter? Because people have curses in their family line. 
Like some families, when people get to a certain age, they die of a heart attack or something. You know, there's, there's things like this which just keep repeating itself in families. And I know sometimes it can be genetics, but sometimes there's a curse. And it's only the blood of Jesus that can break the curse. Sometimes the curse is not even our sin or the sin of our ancestors. Sometimes the curse is there because they they were betrayed or the curse is on us because we were betrayed. I don't know if you realize, but, but that brings a curse on us. Even the things people do to us curses us. For example, if a, a baby is born, sometimes what Satanists will do, they'll do a covenant where they'll take some blood from that baby and they'll pronounce a curse over the child. The baby didn't do anything, but there's a curse. And they can never get free their whole lives unless they get deliverance by the blood of Jesus. I want you to realize that the spiritual world is real. Jesus is real. The curses are real. And the thing is, at the end of the day, as you're sitting here, you need to understand, nothing but the blood of Jesus will break the curse. The same as nothing but the blood of Jesus will take your sin away. Nothing. Jesus shed his blood from his brow to heal us from betrayal. And to set us free from every generational curse caused by disobedience. So, when do we apply this blood? The blood that came from Jesus' brow as he sweated. Whenever we've been betrayed by a loved one. Could be a parent, could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a business partner, whoever. We apply this blood. When we realize we've got a generational curse over our family and it's caused by disobedience and this thing wants to dominate our lives, we apply the blood of the blood of faithfulness, the blood that was shed when Jesus shed blood. Whenever we've got a history of occultism, something of the occult, of idolatry, worshipping idols, a history in our family line of rebellion, even of sickness and things like that. Some of us can't forgive. We can't forgive because of these curses. When you hear about that pastor who was killed, you cannot even imagine forgiving because of these curses. I want to tell you that if you will apply the blood of Jesus with faith, that he will set you free by giving you a forgiving heart. He will set you free by setting you completely and utterly free of hatred. You do not know how awesome it is to live without hatred until you've been set free from a heart of hatred. And some of you are sitting here today and you're so deep and so steeped in a heart of hatred. You don't realize all the things you're saying about other people are actually coming out of the fact that you are cursed with hatred in your heart and it's been coming down from wherever and the Lord wants to set you free because to be set free and to have a heart that is full of love and a heart that is full of the power of of God and of the Holy Spirit is such a freeing thing. It's such an awesome thing. He sets you free from resentment. He sets you free from bitterness. He sets you free supernaturally from the desire for revenge. 
And He will give you a heart that is faithful and a heart that is obedient to the Word of God. He will set you free from whatever curse you're under. If you're living under a curse, you're living there by choice because Jesus set you free. You don't have to do 45, you know, maybe some of you think you've got to do this. Maybe some of you think you've got to come here and roll around and he's like a snake. Maybe some of you think you've got to laugh. Maybe someone think, some of you think you've got to go to maybe confessional, you know what I'm saying, and sit there, ring a ring a rosy with a rosary. No, Jesus has set you free. Maybe you're hard, hard, you, you are hard-hearted and you don't know why. Maybe you just feel oppressed in your spirit and you don't know why. Jesus sweat blood to set you free from it.
approach your throne.